0: Hey listeners, want to become an official Grunthead? Well, now you can, by becoming a patron
1: over at our Patreon. That's right. When you contribute, you'll gain access to our supplemental show, Gruntwork Nights, a podcast not about the TV show Home Improvement. It's a lot of fun,
0: and we hope you'll join us. Just visit patreon.com gruntworkpod to join.
1: And now, on with the show. Does everybody know what time it is? It's time for a bonus episode of Gruntwork. <laughs>
0: everybody to a bonus episode of grunt work the only podcast about the TV show Home Improvement that does bonus episodes like this one
1: yes yes we are a unique little snowflake of uh, <laughs> of home improvement podcasts you might
0: be wanting interviews
1: with cast and
0: crew you Fuck might it. want on the on location uh, uh, TV set time boring <laughs> No, we are bringing you a completely different take on Home Improvement this week. Uh, it's a
1: hot take. Now, Truman, do Landon, you remember season three of Home Improvement? Uh, y- y- Well, no, actually, I've blocked it out of my memory. <laughs> I have post-traumatic stress from it. All In my head, all I see is Muppet Babies. <laughs> it was... Um, I,
0: you know what I don't want to overstate it. It wasn't a dark time, but it, it wasn't was, a light it was, time. <laughs> it was problematic uh more often than it wasn't. Yes. Um we we've come across some issues that uh I think you and I struggle with yes. in the character of Tim the Toolman Taylor. Luckily, they seem to be course correcting a bit. Yeah. Um but you know, it's not even um directly related to Tim the Toolman Taylor. It's just kind of like the the broad strokes of sitcoms. Yes. And what are uh, these things teaching us and telling us and saying about these various topics that they deal with from week to week?
1: Yeah. And so, and with, you know, we touched the darkness, the darkness touched back, and we... Came out of that experience thinking, hey, we should talk to some professionals about this because we yes. ourselves, despite, you know, despite how, how much we pontificate here on the air at length, we're really not experts. And, but there are experts out there. There are. Expert podcasters about these things. I will go one step further and
0: say even more than experts, there are Professionals that deal in uh, these topics that we uh, tackle from week to week. So, well, why, why don't you tell them who we talk to? We have reached out to a podcast that I am just in love with. I love these oh, guys Landon. so much. I, I'm not, you know, we we got an open podcast here. We, we flirt with other podcasts,
1: right? Uh, we, we we never we never talked about this. Landon, have you been <laughs> tested? Um. Well. Uh, maybe that, that, that's cool. That's oh god. Oh oh. <laughs> Uh, Listen, we'll have a conversation. Wrap it before you download it.
0: (laughs) But we reached out to a podcast called Pod Therapy, which is uh, two professional licensed therapists from Vegas. Viva Uh, Las Vegas. Both with different areas of focus, uh, Nick and Jim. And they have one of the most entertaining and insightful educational shows about therapy and the various... Um, uh, reasons people go to therapy and the way therapy helps people, and we asked. Uh, only Nick could join us today. Yes. Um, which is uh, you know I hate to break up the team, but <laughs> you're a homewrecker. You really are. You go around flirting <laughs> with other podcasts, and this is what you do. Well, you know what? We'll have uh, we'll have Jim on sometime without Nick, and then um, that's, that that makes things better, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that that's great. You turn them against <laughs> each other. Uh, But Nick was so kind to sit down with us to uh, break open some of these topics like uh, toxic masculinity and uh, um, support and communication in relationships, uh, male bonding, yeah, um, a lot of different topics that we've covered uh, through the various episodes of Home Improvement. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so excited for you guys to to listen to this interview with I'm excited Nick. Too. Um, and stay tuned after the show so that we can uh, plug them and plug us, and we're just gonna be plugging everybody, buddy. Landon, what has gotten into you today?
1: My God. <laughs> uh, Freud would have a few things to say about that. Ah, oh, man. Okay. Enough. Leave the therapizing to the real therapist, <laughs> whose voices you will hear presently. Uh, Nick, well, thank you so much for uh agreeing to be here and and
0: doing the show with us uh if if, if pod therapy wasn't so um if you and jim weren't such a, a fun entertaining couple i would almost apologize for uh bringing the world of therapy down to our level yeah.
2: <laughs> but as you can probably tell we don't take it all that seriously <laughs> either. So.
0: you guys have a, a lot of fun there and uh, i i feel a little bit bad breaking up the band but uh i'm glad that at least you could be here
2: yeah, absolutely. Jim wanted to. He's just super busy. He's uh, got his own private practice now. Ah. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, he stays pretty busy with that. I actually don't do private practice anymore. Um, most of my job has actually kind of been consulting. Oh, okay. Uh, like this. So, this is exactly. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, exactly like this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> ah, well, fantastic. Well, you know, we, we asked you here so that we can, um, you know, uh, solve all the world's problems uh, here <laughs> Through the lens of home improvement, um, but uh, before we get into the home improvement stuff, uh, why don't you give us a rundown of what Pod Therapy is and uh, uh, what you guys do there? Because I just think it's it's one of my favorite podcasts.
1: Uh, I listen oh, to it you. all the time, and um, yeah, I've, I've been listening to. I've not, yeah. not. I'm not all the way through the back catalog like Landon is, but uh, yeah, it's it's great. I turned
0: Truman onto it. One of the things that I'll just say, uh, as I interrupt you before you even say a word, <laughs> is. Uh, You had said something a couple episodes ago um, that I found extremely valuable, which was if you can't make your point in three sentences or fewer, uh, you need to kind of re-examine how you're communicating things. That's something (laughs) that I took to heart because I have that problem.
2: Yes. Oh, I do too. That's why I, that's how I know it so well is because I do that myself. Uh, (laughs) That's something that I've had to work really hard on. But uh, yeah, thank you. Um, So myself uh like i said my name is nick uh i'm uh actually an addictions specialist okay so that's primarily my focus uh, my co-host jim on pod therapy uh he's got a little bit of a background in addictions but also in mental health uh so um he's kind of we we both lived in both of those worlds um we worked we've worked at multiple places together um but Essentially, what we decided what we really wanted to do um, we wanted to do a podcast about therapy about mental health that was geared towards the average person mm-hmm. uh, most of the podcasts that we were listening to uh, having to do with mental health or therapy they were just really dry they were yeah. really boring, and it just felt like they were geared towards other therapists and that's valuable like there's there's some use in that but uh, our big mission is we want to, uh, decrease the stigma with mental health, right. uh, we want more people to feel comfortable going to therapy. So our big mission is to talk about therapy, be educated, but to be likable, normal <laughs> human beings.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so Struggle so with that the myself. average
2: person, you know, when they think about going to therapy, they can say, well, I, oh, I'm sorry. That's my, <laughs> sorry. Misfired. <laughs> I can say, I know Nick and Jim and they seem pretty normal. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Well, so, you know, I was actually going to save this for uh, one of the topics we're going to cover, but it seems natural to bring it up here, which is um, how do, you know, uh, there there is a certain stigma about therapy and how therapists are supposed to look and act. And I would normally mention the Sigmund Freud beard uh, as a <laughs> trope, but you currently have one.
1: <laughs> it, it lends a lot of credibility, I have to say.
0: <laughs> yeah. it is, I'm a little, I've got beard envy right now, but um as do i i mean my god <laughs> what what is do you see um a, a certain uphill battle with how uh therapy and or psychology and therapists are depicted in tv shows and films uh i mean because we're getting to that point yeah. with uh with jill entering in psychology as a student but you know we kind of also have wilson who's a uses almost philosophy as therapy so i'm, I'm kind of curious what uh, what kind of uphill battles you guys have and see in seeing that?
2: You know, um, most of the battles that we have uh, when it comes to movies and TV isn't really with the depiction of the therapists. I think for the most part, um, you know, therapists by nature I think are just kind of weird. Um, <laughs> we are, weird, we are a weird group. Um, we all have these little idiosyncrasies, but. Uh, for the most part, I think the biggest stigma that we battle is with how mental health is portrayed
3: Mm. in movies and
2: and TV, specifically things like schizophrenia, Mm. you know, because one of the interesting things is, you know, if if you're writing a movie, you want something that's mysterious, you know, something that we don't know a whole lot about, and that's going to capture attention and, you know, what better than mental health, you know? So for the longest time... We didn't know a whole lot about uh, things like schizophrenia or some of these uh, multiple personality disorders, you know, which it's not it's not called that anymore. Um, But things like that made for really good movies because we didn't really understand them. But as we've gone on, uh, it's it's become a problem because (laughs) now we're trying to break that stigma like people who have schizophrenia aren't necessarily anything to be more afraid of than the average person. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, we have this idea that, oh, my God, that means they're going to murder me in my sleep. And that's more of the stigma that that we're fighting against as far as how mm. therapists are portrayed. Um, some do it really well, some don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me ask, does Frasier do it well? As someone who grew up watching <laughs> Frasier and
1: was very amenable to getting into therapy because I grew up on Frasier, like I had zero stigma. Like, is that a good example?
2: Uh, you know, Frasier is actually a pretty good one. Um, yes. I, I grew up watching that too. And uh, awesome. I mean, he he kind of has his, his uh, radio show and everything. But a lot of the stuff he says, to my recollection, I think was pretty good. Obviously, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't really watched it since becoming a therapist <laughs> so I should probably go back and do that yeah. but to my recollection I thought he did a pretty good job
0: but things are always in the the psychological field as well as obviously society and, and television things are always evolving right so what may may have been quote unquote woke uh, for therapy right. uh, on Frasier in the 90s might not be today right because yeah. I, I mean I, I've only seen a, a smidgen of Frasier but oh um, you have so
1: much to so much to learn <laughs>
0: I, from what I remember, they used a lot of Freudian tro- tropes, which doesn't seem to be yeah. the the leanings today.
2: Yeah, the the Freudian um, psychoanalytical uh, psychodynamic model is is not very common anymore. Um, I actually a good friend of mine um, still kind of follows some of that, more of the uh, uh, the Jungian style uh-huh. uh, as opposed to the Sigmund Freud. But there's really not too many of those either. Um, but she sticks with it. She really believes it. She's had good success with it. Um, but yeah, it's not very. Um, and a lot of, a lot of the uh, the therapy has kind of changed. You know, it's a lot more humanistic. It's a lot yeah. more Rogerian, um, kind of focused on the that relationship between uh, the client and the therapist. So it's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, right. That makes sense. Yeah. And of course, when you're doing TV and uh movies you do have to dilute it
1: down to a point that's understandable by the masses <laughs> right and, yeah. yeah and also now that i've been watching cheers there are a bunch of episodes earlier on where Frazier at one point almost jumps off a building he uh, there's another episode <laughs> where he threatens sam malone with a gun and i'm thinking like if the american psychic like he would lose his license for this <laughs> like Frazier needs yeah. to work on himself first yes yeah. absolutely <laughs> Um,
0: well, let's uh, switch gears to home improvement, um, You know, stepping out of your uh, your therapy shoes for a second and going into your general uh, audience shoes. Uh, should you
1: uh, be lying down on a couch before we do that, or should you be? Which, which one of us should be on a couch?
0: <laughs> uh,
2: I'm- I'm perfectly comfortable with you guys sitting in chairs. <laughs> okay, great, oh, fantastic. Fine. Good. Okay.
0: Um, I mean, I'm always game to lay down somewhere, but
2: uh... <laughs> but they might fall asleep.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That
0: is the, the
1: risk always.
0: <laughs> uh, but let's talk about your your background with home improvement because uh, I know that you had mentioned that you uh, kind of watched the show with your whole family growing up, and uh, um, you know you're not necessarily a stranger to it. So what, what do you, nice. what's your relationship with home improvement?
2: Yeah, that was one of the shows that I feel like we as a family watched uh, straight through. Yeah. and we watched wow. you know wow. new episodes as they came out, um, and then there were shows like that. And then we all, we would always watch reruns of old shows uh, like Mash. I think I've seen every episode <laughs> oh, yeah. of Mash. I love that show. Uh, but Home Improvement was was a regular mm. at our house. Um, and you know, since you guys contacted me about doing this show. Uh, I've gone back and I've watched a few episodes to kind of refresh my memory because I haven't really watched it since I was a kid. Um, and I appreciate it. It's a <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a show. It's it's yeah. pretty entertaining.
0: Yeah, there, there's a, a certain sense. We just had a guest on who we were breaking it down between, like, comfort and nostalgia. And there are some shows that are just kind of icing and you get that nostalgia fixed pretty quickly mm-hmm. and they don't really stand the test of time. Whereas Home Improvement has this kind of comfort factor to it. There is something more than just nostalgia. You kind of feel like you're arriving at something from your past in a way. Or I guess it could even be repurposed for for something now. But um, yeah. there is something a little bit different to it, yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely agree. I, I think I would credit a lot of it. just not like a lot of people who I've talked to about home improvement, uh, I think I think a certain amount of it is that a lot of people growing up with I think it's the combination of Tim Allen and Patricia Richardson is what does it. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. either have have a lot of positive connotations with Tim Allen from the Toy Story movies, and then Patricia <laughs> right. Richardson is just being like a really great mom figure, and I feel like they're both kind of surrogate parents for people in a way. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I think uh, you know with. Uh, Tim Allen was always the character. I mean, he was the main <laughs> character, but he was the one that uh, I was just really entertained by.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But else kind of, you know, obviously we're supporting roles, but um, yeah, something about that character was just really interesting.
0: <laughs> I can't wait to get into that a little bit more.
1: Psychologically I... very interesting now. Looking <laughs> <thinking> back at <laughs>
0: him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I kind of I want to segue into something um, that we just touch upon, which is. Uh, if you can give us any kind of insight into kind of television as a surrogate parent or family member um, and a lot of people's, you know, youth when they're growing up, I don't know if that's the case so much anymore, but certainly, you know, when things like home improvement were being broadcast, there was a sense of, um, I, I know my kid's going to be fine if I plop them in front of the TV for a half hour. Um, yeah. So what, what can, what can you say about like television as a surrogate?
2: Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, my background more in addictions, I don't really have a whole lot really to add to that. I'm not exactly sure. Um, (laughs) Okay. Television addiction question. I'll tell you what though, the thing that I'm really kind of concerned about now is that was that that's always been an issue, you know, but now it seems like with a lot of the kids programs, And now with the iPhones, with the iPads, and with all the the games and everything that's so easily accessible, um, I'm really kind of curious as to the the link between that and ADHD.
3: Mm, mm -hmm. When
2: you've got, you know, when you're learning at such a young age then you just have entertainment right at your fingertips and everything is bright and bright colors and flashy and moving around, and then you get into school and you have to sit quietly. (laughs) Yeah. And listen to a monotone teacher and there's no flashing lights. There's no bright colors. Um, it just makes sense that that we're kind of creating a generation of potential problems with ADHD.
0: (laughs) That's very, very interesting. Um, and I mean, they don't live next to me anymore, so I don't feel like I'm outing them, but (laughs) I had, um, (laughs) across the way these, uh, this couple had a newborn and, um, it cried incessantly. And, and, you know, like, I don't have kids. Uh, I haven't really been exposed to a lot of kids throughout my life. Well,
1: short of living around them.
0: That's like, it, at yeah. At like... given
1: time in your apartment <laughs> complex, there's like
0: seven
2: babies.
0: <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of neighbor babies, but... Um, <laughs> this weekend on
1: CBS, <laughs> yeah, neighbor babies. Neighbor babies.
0: <laughs> um, they, so this kid, within the first year of its life, would just cry in a way that didn't seem normal to me, and when I... Um, I didn't confront him, necessarily. It was annoying, but, like... You confront the baby? Yeah, I like, we're gonna go outside <laughs> in the parking lot after school, baby. Um, we, uh... I ran into my neighbor in the um, parking lot afterward, and uh, I asked him, like, oh, man, it sounds like you got a lot in your hands uh, at the moment. And he said... Oh, she gets really finicky and upset when we take the iPhone away from her. And this was a kid oh that was under a year old. So oh the kid would just start bawling if she didn't have the like flashing lights and everything right in front of her face. So uh, you know, every time that kid would cry, I wondered like, what is this? What is this baby going to turn into in life? <laughs> I, oh, I hope that uh, at best it's just ADHD, <laughs> not something worse. yeah, no but... yeah I mean okay. it
2: could be ADHD. I mean you're setting up for um, potential addiction issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know when you've got that much stimulation and then, and then you you know pull it away and right. you can't handle that. That's a serious issue. <laughs> yeah. it's, <I'm>... it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, they moved away. Otherwise, I'd slide a
1: pamphlet under their door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, worst case scenario, that kid becomes a YouTube influencer. Probably. they're
2: probably going to be a millionaire. They're going to be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, we got a we got a poor
0: connection. We'll we'll be back in one second, folks. Oh, yeah. oh there we go. Hey. Okay, we're back. Uh, I, sometimes we, you know, I think the, the cable companies put the bottleneck on the bandwidth around this time. Uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, so, you know, uh, inconvenient for us that the thing cut out right when you were making a joke.
2: (laughs) That's, that's my life, story of my life. You know what, it's, it, that's suiting, though. That's so perfect, because on the podcast, I never get to any of my punchlines, because Jim always interrupts me. So this is perfect. This
0: right on it, brand.
2: It would not have worked out better. Perfect,
1: it's perfect. A, it's a backdoor plug for your, uh, for your yeah. podcast. Yes. Uh, if you guys... Like this. Let's not, let's oh, not yeah, use no. backdoor plug. That's uh, maybe <laughs> let's, let's... a terminology we don't want to <laughs> go with. I, I hope that it cut out and didn't get me saying that, actually. That's terrible. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
2: No, but yes. It, so, if, so if you enjoyed losing connection in the middle of my joke, then you'll love pot there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, decided. I love it. There's... Um, so, uh, okay, we're gonna go into some topics here uh, that deal with um some episodes that we've had in the past on the show. Uh, we just like the not get... psychotic episodes, but like episodes.
3: <laughs> I'm not making sure any probably, promises here. They trigger sure.
0: psychotic episodes. <laughs> He's safe. He's, you know, across the computer. He's yeah. just he's a little tiny man inside my computer. <laughs> Everything's fine. Yeah. Um uh but to give you kinda like uh to summarize a little bit uh what I think our show has become is that you know, we Truman and I we, we always are uh kind of ping ponging back and forth between commenting and and highlighting the issues. Um uh, that they raise in the sitcom format and how they approach it within, you know, having to, to get it to status quo by the end of the episode um, versus by doing that, what is it that they're actually giving the audience to digest and take home with them? Um, it's, you know, constantly we I, I have to be reeled in to go, okay, but this is a sitcom and clearly if Tim did this, there wouldn't be an episode. So
1: he has to fuck up somehow. <laughs> right. it, it's just that a lot of the show, especially especially doing the show at this specific point in time when we're really, you know, reevaluating what you know the, the notions of masculinity and toxic masculinity and everything. I am certainly, I think we're both seeing in Tim and the way he behaves and the sort of things that the show takes for granted and the show kind of puts forward as like laugh lines. This whole notion that yeah, like yeah, men and women are equal, but you know, but women do these things, you know, and. <laughs> The, the, it, it's wink. yeah right and it's the wink it's like it's hard for us as two heterosexual white guys to just be like ha they winked at this i feel i we've i certainly feel kind of guilt and honor bound to at least pull it out and look at it yeah right and for me yeah. like uh you know
0: i don't know if you have siblings or not truman and i are both only children and i'm oh. i'm gonna be speaking just from my own experience like I didn't have, um, you know, the show very much is about male initiation and I didn't have that, uh, really growing up. My dad worked a lot and, and, you know, whatever, they did a, a great job, but I didn't have that male initiation that you get from brothers or that you get from, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, a wolf pack, you know, right. <laughs> a wolf pack of one. Yeah, exactly. I'm a lone wolf. Um, so <laughs>
2: I, I I had an older sister.
0: You did. Okay. Um, so, so male initiation, <laughs> check. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> we definitely had a sibling rivalry. Uh-huh. Uh, we, never, we never got along at all when we were kids. Oh. We were constantly at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're great friends now as adults. Great. Um, and it's interesting, too, you know, when we kind of look at the male initiation, because you can look at it from that perspective, which maybe has a little bit different uh, meaning to it than rites of passage. Right. So I wouldn't say I had a whole lot of, uh, male initiation or anything, but I do feel like I had rites of passage. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, my dad was big into, uh, woodworking
1: mm-hmm. and, you know, when I, I got
2: to, um, use the lathe for the first time or the bandsaw or the <laughs> yeah. stuff, something like that, you know, it was like, that was right. important to me. And it, it was it's something all definitely remember I, that was that, that that was exactly a thing in
1: an episode where he initiates one of the boys by letting him weld for the first time uh, uh yeah. yeah brad yeah for, yeah. for brad oh, way to go I <laughs> the chalupas are gonna fall through the ceiling you've got one of the boys <laughs> names right for once i know that was i i that's i had to wait for a second while the hamster wheel in my head went trying to remember but, but yes yeah, so it's like a, So it's like a you know that's a that's an experience of like yeah. you know graduating to a higher level of tool use
0: Well, there's something, uh, a a positive reinforcement that comes with that and and kind of knowing you're being guided or you're heading down, you know, blindly this path, but you're doing an okay job, I think is somewhat necessary to development from a completely (laughs) uninitiated, uh, um, you know, just podcaster. I don't have any uh, licenses or anything to be saying this officially, but Mm -hmm. um, to me, that feels like it would have been important and not having any of that, it's... To me, it's interesting in looking at how a show like Home Improvement, which is so essential to my upbringing, um, you know, kind of going back to the surrogate thing, how that – how what did I learn from that? You know, maybe yeah. not consciously but unconsciously of what it means to be a man and, and what are the values that I'm gleaning from
2: this? Yeah. The show definitely has an interesting take on masculinity. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and you really get a sense of that, you know, watching the episodes and, and what they choose to focus on, um, you know, and a lot of that, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink type things, you know, that <laughs> happen throughout the show. And like, yeah. this is what it means to be a man and and all that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting look at, and I, I was kind of thinking this, too, while watching some of these episodes, if part of that was the time uh-huh. as well. You know, because you, we see that a lot with sitcoms. How um, you know, we can look back at something like Archie Bunker, you know, and, you know or the Honeymooners, and some of that stuff, and be like, right. "Oh my God, I can't believe you know, <laughs> some of that stuff was being said." You yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, at the time, that was kind of how things were were done. Well, and this is just
0: my my armchair television history, but you get a show like All in the Family, or even Married with Children which are kind of counterculture uh, shows to the kind of mainstream thinking. And then you get shows like Home Improvement and these kind of wholesome TGIF shows, which are kind of in line with the kind of Reagan era or post Reagan era thinking, the kind of resurgence of the nuclear family and how can we explore diversity within this very small window
1: right um saying that this is what this is what families are like this is what families should be not like poking fun right. at it or not showing like hey this you know Archie Bunker or here's this guy's representative of all these bad things in America like here's Tim Allen a great dad <laughs> yeah i mean
0: isn't that the whole reason that representation is important i mean if they, these are the shows that are like this is what a family is it's right. so exclusive to so many other things
2: yeah yeah that makes sense i can see that
0: yeah but anyway i kind of wanted to start with uh this idea of toxic masculinity and even getting into alternative masculinity a bit and wondered if you could um just to start uh give us uh you know a a cliff notes version uh what's the back of the vhs box of uh you describe these and by the way uh, you guys had an amazing episode. Um, I think it was back in January about uh, toxic masculinity and all these new um, findings and uh, a scientific report that came out. I thought it was fascinating.
2: Yeah, yeah so that was uh, that was episode fifty-five. We were looking at um, the American Psychological Association. I think it was uh, put out an article uh, geared towards a therapist talking about the way that we look at masculinity. Um, and how we, how we approach it. And I remember in that episode, um, we usually have an a block Mm -hmm. where, where one of us will bring a topic and sometimes we review it in advance and other times we don't. And we just, so we can get kind of a hot take on it. (laughs) Sure. And that was a hot take moment
3: because, uh,
2: because Jim brought that one. Um, I had not looked at it yet and he shared it with me on the podcast. And the whole time in the podcast, I'm thinking, why are we talking about this? Because this does not sound interesting to me at all. <laughs> wow. Um, but it ended up being kind of useful. Um, well, one thing I think is important to point out when we talk about toxic. So yeah. it's one of those words that it, in, in our world, it's kind of hard to define because really what we're looking at is a clinically significant level of distress
3: mm-hmm
2: for for anything whether we're talking about making a mental health diagnosis or we're talking about relationships ultimately that's what we're looking for so when we talk about masculinity, I guess that's kind of the frame that I would put around that mm-hmm. um, is it causing a clinically significant level of distress it, you know in which case in some episodes I think with with tim it it does you know his his masculinity do, does kind of get in the way of his relationship with his wife Mm -hmm. or, uh, with other characters in the show. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, what what we're doing now in, in our field is really kind of taking a a more nuanced approach in identifying and you know, maybe defining what masculinity is Uh and understanding the cultural impacts that, uh, that influence, uh, masculinity looking at uh, power and privilege yeah. and how that impacts our definition of masculinity. There's uh, yeah, check out uh, our episode 55. I mean, we re- really dive into it and talk a lot about all the different factors that, that influence that and how important it is that we kind of change our, our view of masculinity.
0: Yeah, I, I, it was a fantastic episode. So I definitely urge uh, listeners to go check that episode out. Uh, and one thing I kind of want to point out in terms of, how masculinity is handled handled through the tv show which is not only is it what the character of tim taylor is doing within the episode to put his foot in his mouth or fuck up but it's also how the writers choose to construct the episode and how they write for women and how they write for the characters that are on the opposite side of masculinity because that's the right. sort of catalyst for us stepping into it. And that, I think that's what's been uh, kind of stuck in our craw from season three was that it's one thing to put this, like, okay, this is a problem of Tim, say, going back to the the episode, let's go to the videotape, where Tim is, um, you know, in the hardware store doing locker room talk with the guys saying how boring <laughs> their wives are, and... Uh, and comparing that to Al and Al sticking up for himself and his relationship saying, you know what? I like being around uh, my girlfriend. I like uh, listening to her and um, don't find her boring. So, the... Yeah. Yeah, good.
2: He gets a lot of shit for that, too. Yeah. Yeah. In that episode, right? I mean... Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, Even when, uh, later on, when they're watching the video and he's, you know, and he's, he's able to recite, um, uh, they're talking about a poet or somebody that she quoted. Yeah. Right. And, and he's able to recite from memory parts of another poem that she wrote or something. And, Mm -hmm. and everybody's, or he's crying (laughs) in one episode or one one section of that too. And, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's used as the punching bag. Right. Right. For for uh, for masculinity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. W- which is yeah, which is I'm a saying, uh, yeah. Which is sort of a, com- a common thing like that is Al is very often like you know, Tim is presenting one form of masculinity which the show seems to kind of has have de- designated as good and acceptable. Al is a more sensitive man who likes to cook who's very close with his mother, who loves spending time with his girlfriend and loves to treat her as an equal, and Al is sort of portrayed by the show, I feel, as like, oh, he's laughable, like, yeah, you can do this, but why would you want to, like, you know, like, it's like the show is discouraging viewers from being like Al, who we, well, I certainly feel like is one of the most honorable and decent characters on the show.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and even if it's not the writers doing that so much, it's the fact that, tim does and tim is the main character who we are supposed to be relating to the most so when he makes al the butt of a joke then it makes in my mind the audience question well okay how are we supposed to feel about al and his philosophy and perspective on life um it gets a little problematic i think at times actually i wanted to uh, in this conversation about toxic masculinity and while we're talking about al mention and ask you about kind of alternative forms of masculinity um, So the, I don't know if you were big into Saturday Night Live growing up, but uh, I just saw this article that reexamined the Sinead O'Connor incident where she tore up a picture of the Pope uh, on Saturday Night Live. Right. And the uh, the producers, you know, they ended the the segment by silently they told the audience don't clap. They never had her back on, uh, and then I think that was the season finale episode. Um the season premiere of the next season, they had Joe Pesci tape the picture of the Pope back up and hold it to the, you know, uh camera, and Joe Pesci kind of being this uh he's coming right off a of good he's you know, that scrappy, you know, New York uh version of masculinity. But the other side of the story that we never heard, uh Sinead O'Connor had done a concert right after that. And the, the news outlets just, like, rained fire and brimstone on her over this, uh, this incident. And she was trying to draw awareness of the, the sexual stuff that's going on inside of the, you know, the Vatican and all these places. Uh, and she was silenced for it. And when she was getting booed on stage before she even got one song out... Chris Kristofferson came out of the wings and like took her aside in front of, well, in front of the audience, but away from the microphone and just kind of like put his arm around her and, uh, you know, gave her a bit of support and she got up and and did her song. And I'm like, that's an interesting alternate take on, on, you know, not ostracizing somebody, um, that I don't feel like most men would, would typically do.
2: Right. Yeah, I I, I I wouldn't really see that happening either. That and so yeah, there's a lot of different uh takes on masculinity and um you know what what is a, a more positive take on masculinity. I agree with you. I think uh Al's character to me really represents more of kind of where we are today with mm-hmm. our view of masculinity. Mm-hmm. I think there are still some people that are kind of stuck in the, the Tim Taylor uh, view. Yeah. And yeah, as we kind of talked about on, on, uh, on our episode, uh, you know, there's a lot of different cultural, uh, things that, that occur, you know, like when we talk about, um, um, trying to think of, uh, just other like military, for example, sure, you know, yeah. there's a lot of situations where, where we really appreciate all of those amazing things that, you know, our, our service member, members do, but we, we build this, this idea that they are incredibly strong and that they can't be broken. But then yet, how does that affect them uh, seeking out help when they come back with PTSD? Right. You know, and this masculinity thing that, that we get stuck and it help it it prevents people from actually getting the help that they need because it's, it's viewed as weakness. You know, I'm supposed to be strong. I'm not, I'm not supposed to let things bother me. I'm supposed to just be able to walk things off. Um, it's it's definitely yeah. something that that we fight uh, this battle every day in, in our field.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's wild. And it's like, I think it, it's worth an ongoing conversation to kind of, you know, for me, it's interesting to look at home improvement here as where my ideas of why I felt like an outsider a lot of times because yeah. I'm, you know, maybe subconsciously comparing myself to like, well, I don't really want a man's kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't really want uh a garage you know, full of tools. Yeah, I don't want to soup up my lawnmower and go sixty miles an hour. Um so you know, I think that that's I don't know how relevant it is to break open a 90s TV show and do it nowadays, but um
1: I well, I, yeah. I certainly think that it, it it is sort of indicative of you know our our generation grew up you know as kids watching this with this sort of version of masculinity put out there. I mean, this is the most popular show in America for many years. That with this kind of show putting it out there, that this this knowledge that the masculine thing to do is like tools and hot rods, and if you don't, you're an object of ridicule and scorn. Right. And <clears throat> I think that yeah. kind of set up sort of, I to some degree, we're kind of living out the results of that now. I mean, there were obviously a lot of other factors. You can't pin it all on one show, but I feel like it was reflective of the attitudes then that have built the world we're in today.
2: Yeah. No, I, I would agree with that. Now, I think maybe another, another way to look at this, another take on this, is the idea that I, I think one thing the show did really well was almost in a way kind of make fun of him for his masculinity at times.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I think they, they, there was a little bit of a counterweight to that. I feel like, you know, like when he, anytime you felt the need, like, Oh, I got to soup things up, you know, I got to make them faster, stronger, and more powerful. <laughs> yeah. And it all backfires. Right. You know, and obviously that's, you know, done for comedic effect, but I, I do think that that also in a way kind of pokes fun at him a little bit for, being a little carried away with the masculinity, which I think helped to kind of bring it back to a more uh, a tolerable level.
0: Yeah. And that's where I think uh, the first two seasons, they do that very well. And I think by the third season, um, at least for us in our experience, like they, I don't know if it's just they needed to switch things up or if certain creative forces were imparting themselves on the show or or what exactly the thing was, but there was certainly less accountability and counterweight to his masculinity in season three. Um, yeah. We're we we're seeing a, a sea change a bit in season four back to... Um, the good old days. Back to this kind of healthier <laughs> world. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I'm sure we're going to keep weaving masculinity and toxic masculinity through this whole thing. So let me kind of push to some more uh, specific topics about... Um, two, two that I think kind of go hand in hand, which are what we've mentioned already, male initiation and male bonding. Um, in your estimation, what would you say are, um, like good examples of healthy male bonding? Cause I feel uh, you, you guys are based in Vegas. So I feel like you are in the, the, like
1: the HQ of bad male bonding, uh,
0: <laughs> potential male ba-
1: bad male bonding. Yeah. It's good male bonding. If a bunch of dudes go there to see blue man group or Celine Dion, it's one thing. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, that, that is, yeah, that's, that's partially true. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, whenever I think of good male bonding, I, I just think of anything that, that, you know, a, a father and son can do together, you know, mm-hmm. where they're both interested, you know you're both, you're able to spend time together, you're able to talk, you know, for, for me, um, you know, that took the form of, uh, baseball games when oh. I was a kid, uh, uh, rounds of golf well it kind of started off with golf but then as i got better then he started giving me tips and then it didn't work and i just got frustrated
3: yeah so it wasn't
2: always wasn't always good uh healthy male bonding but good intentions um, yeah i think any any time that you're able to just spend some of that that quality time with just you know a father and son can be very very helpful i i think it's a it's a lot easier to come up with examples of bad male bonding than it is positive. male.
0: <laughs> okay. So there's this is kind of like a uh, circle back to what you're saying about, is there a clinical, um, significant wh- amount of distress? Wh- yeah, right. Yeah.
2: Or, or, you know, what is it that you're, that you're really kind of teaching? Yeah. And I guess the other thing too is it, are you actually spending quality time? You know, are you right. having conversations? Are you listening? You know, are you being receptive um, you know, or is it, or is it all about you as the father? Are you just, you know, <laughs> you come here and you do this thing and you do what I tell you to do versus, Hey, tell me about this thing that you're interested in. Yeah. You know? some,
0: it feels like it's half and half
1: when it comes to Tim Taylor. I, there, there was an episode where he was trying to enforce some male bonding on the kids where they were all going to build things for Jill's birthday. They were all going to go out in the garage and all work and build with wood that You know, things for Jill and Randy, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, at one point just tells Tim, like, look, I I don't want to do this. I'm not interested in this stuff. I would rather do artsy things like that. And it's kind of a point of, you know, it's a little bit of a, a, like, Tim doesn't know how to react to that. He doesn't know how to respond to his kid not being into what he's into. Right. And what was the name of that episode? Oh... I, 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 you, you're trying to mouth it to me and I cannot remember. (laughs) Jill's birthday. Jill's birthday was the name of the episode. (laughs) Creative titles.
2: And and that's a good example. I think of, of, uh, I think sometimes the fear that, that fathers have, Mm. uh, when, or even it's probably not even, uh, specific to fathers. Moms probably experience this too, where, um, you have this idea or this expectation in your head of of what it's going to be like to be a parent. And you yeah. you naturally just think of all the wonderful, fun things that you do and you just picture doing those and handing those skills off to the next generation. And no one ever really stops to think like, well, what if my kid's not interested in any of the stuff that I'm interested in?
3: Right, and it, yeah, And it
2: does kind of shake their foundation and their expectation. And they have to, parents have to adjust their expectations to still have that bonding experience but you're gonna to have to do it in some other way
0: I think my parents are still waiting for me to pick up the piano <laughs> <laughs>
2: what's, what's really funny about that is my my sister was forced to take piano lessons and I don't know why but I never was and now I'm trying to teach myself how to play piano, and mm-hmm. my sister hasn't played since she was like seven.
1: Oh, the irony! She's, she's trying to unlearn the piano that she learned. <laughs> yeah. Maybe your parents were just like, "Okay, we
0: took, we tried to schedule getting one person to piano lessons. Let's not ever try to incorporate that into our schedule again."
2: Yeah, that's probably what happened. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, my parents and I watched movies together all the time and then I moved to LA to try and be a screenwriter. So I guess there's, you know, still, (laughs) they they sent me, they sent me on a very uncertain and uh, wobbly career path. They should have just taught me to do math or something. (laughs) Oh
0: man. Um, well, let's move on to, uh, the dynamic between Tim and the people around him. Um, specifically like communication and, uh, displays of support both in, uh, And I want to talk about uh, the marriage between Tim and Jill, but I think also the dynamic between Al and Tim uh, and their friendship, which is kind of an interesting um, uh, little friendship, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, just what I've certainly—what I've noticed in—so, should we start with Tim and Al or Tim and Jill? Tim and and Jill. Okay, so— what what I what something that has upset me about the show is that you know I, I really love the character of Jill. I love that she's a very kind of outspoken person. She's very feisty. She very much gives Tim shit when Tim is being uh, very Timmy. And but sort of the the it seems like a lot of the time she will be communicating an issue to him. Like they will have a dispute that's at the center of the episode, and then she will just kind of give up her side of the argument and more or less acquiesce to Tim or let Tim off the hook with a very simple apology just because the episode is... Oh, because it's been 22 minutes and the episode is over.
2: <laughs> and... Yeah. Well, it looks like we're out of time, so... <laughs>
1: yeah, so, and Tim has to win, so here it is. So, I don't know, I guess, like, what in a... what in a in a healthy relationship, I mean... I, I don't know, I mean, what is it what does it look like for for a couple to actually work through something like that. I mean, is it, is it, is one person always necessarily going to be winning or I don't know, I guess I haven't, I didn't really come up with the, with a concise way of phrasing this question. Well,
2: no, this is, this is good because you and I are definitely on the same page because that was, that was 100% my observation too. (laughs)
3: Good. Um,
2: So one of the things that's really important is validation. Mm. So it's, it's, yeah, he, you're right. He says he's sorry at the end of every episode, and then that's it. And there's never really any indication that he's going to do anything different, or there's never any indication that he understands why he was wrong. Right. He just he just says, "Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry." Um, so validation is something that's really important in in relationships. Um, one of, one very common thing I, I think we've all been there. You know, if I ask the question, how many of us have know somebody who just won't let things from the past go? Right. Like, oh yeah, hands shoot up. You know, mm-hmm. we all have somebody like that in our lives, but we never really stop to think, well, what is preventing them from letting that go? And mm-hmm. the big thing that usually is preventing them from letting it go is validation is missing. And what validation is is validation is not just the the individual be like the tim character being able to say uh okay yeah you're right but it's also being able to say look not only are you right but if i was in your position i would feel that way too you have wow. a right to to be upset you know and to really look at how that affects the other person yeah. that is very important in, in, in a relationship. And that's one thing that I don't think Tim ever really gets. He never really gives Jill that validation.
0: It's an interesting distinction because I, I find uh, so often that Tim, as we've you know already stated, kind of comes to an apology by the end of the episode. But as you watch kind of a cumulative effect, what ends up happening is he's apologizing. But then when he's like in the hardware store with his guy friends Or even giving advice to Brad with his girlfriend, he's like, "All you have to do is just say you're sorry." Uh, What am I supposed to be sorry for, Dad? I don't know, but it's your fault, you know. Like, (laughs) there's this sort of sense of like guys who just always fuck ups and you know accept that and move on, and we don't actually have to examine what the underlying causes of these things are. Um, It's one of the things that tends to bother me about the show is just like this arbitrary dividing line of men versus women. Women always want an apology. Women always think they're right. And men don't like to argue. Men don't like to break down or listen to this shit. So it's just easier to say, I'm sorry and move on. Right. Um, I think, you know, we don't see too many direct examples of that, but I do see it like him just apologizing. And then we see an episode where he gives advice similar to that. And it seems problematic to me.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those are the relationships that end in divorce.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we keep waiting. We keep waiting for that very special episode.
0: Yeah, we want Jill and Elle to get together so
3: bad.
2: Yeah, because there's there, everybody has a threshold. Everybody yeah. has a, a, a level that they just, they're they not going to take any more of it. And um, if you're going to have a lasting relationship, validation is, is incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, he... he definitely needs if, if he wants to improve that relationship that he's got with his wife he's gonna have to actually take the time and and try to understand how another person feels and ultimately that's the thing that really prevents a lot of people from uh, from accomplishing this kind of validation and validating other people's because when we know we've done something wrong the last thing we want to do is feel it yeah. like you know if, if I've hurt somebody I recognize that I hurt that person. I don't want to feel what they're feeling. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I don't want to connect with that person. I just want to, I want to say I'm sorry and I want to move it, you know, as far behind me as I possibly can as quickly as I can. Right. But to really get that validation, it means I'm actually going to have to sit here and I'm going to have to really look at how my actions have affected other people.
0: Yeah. That that seems rather uh, complex to um, depict in a 22 minute sitcom
1: episode.
2: <laughs> yeah, it probably wouldn't be very funny either, <laughs> right? Yeah. It tr-
1: it tr- yeah. <laughs> what I what I did like about our most recent episode that we watched is that in that one, it seems like Tim came the closest to actually understanding and abs- actually understanding, uh, like and recognizing that he did something wrong. This this, uh, this is the episode where um, uh, you know, Jill. Ha- it's it's the locker room talk at the hardware store where Jill has caught Tim and the guys complaining about how boring their wives are, but there's scenes where Tim first tries to rationalize what he did to his audience at tool time, and the only people who agree with him are a guy who's divorced and a guy who just got out of prison. And then... <laughs> and then he and then he tries to rationalize it to his sons, and they all kind of just, like, don't understand it, or, like, pointing out the hypocrisy and what he said versus the other things that he's tried to tell them. And like, just in a very... Like, And then, you know, when Tim encounters Jill in the next scene, he straight up just apologizes to her with no pretense or kind of jokiness. Just like, Jill, I'm sorry. It got out of hand. I didn't didn't mean what I was saying. And it wasn't perfect, but I liked it because he at least... It wasn't just he went and talked to Wilson and Wilson helped him understand how he can feel better about himself and, like, there's a jokey little line. It's like, Tim actually... Tried to live with himself and and w- wasn't able to and realized that the problem was with him. So this sh- yeah. So this is one episode out of we probably watched almost a hundred. One episode <laughs> out of almost a hundred where I feel like Tim comes close to doing the right thing. Yeah, I would agree. It he he
2: did make a little bit more of an effort. Um, there's actually books. there was this a uh, a uh, 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 talk that I went to mm-hmm. uh, a presenter. And uh, he had written some books and he had worked as a consultant. And uh, one of the things that he he talked about was uh, how to apologize with meaning.
3: Oh, interesting.
2: There's four steps to it. Okay. And I, I'm sure you guys don't need this. I'm sure you guys are awesome. <laughs> Maybe your listeners
3: could benefit from it. Mm. Um, <laughs> the first thing
2: is not to just say you're sorry, but be specific about what you're sorry for. Uh-huh. Right. So not just say, Hey, sorry, but to be able to say, Hey, um, this is what happened. You know, I'm sorry for doing this. Right. And The second thing talking about, um, is the validation piece. You know, if I was in your position, this is how I would feel. So if this is the way you feel based off of what I did, you have every right to feel that way. And then three is making a plan to do something different. So in mm-hmm. the future, This is how I want to treat you, or this is how I want to talk to you. And then the fourth piece is accountability, giving that person a role to play. Say, please hold me accountable to what I I say I'm going to do. Please feel comfortable letting me know that if I'm not doing this, uh, let me know that I'm not doing it, and and hold me accountable to the change I'm going to make.
0: And you know what's interesting, That, that final piece, which is, I think... Uh, probably essential to making this sort of thing stick in real life <laughs> is the one thing that you can't have in a sitcom format, where you have <laughs> expectations of a character and you have to return to status quo at the end of every episode. Yes. So, yeah.
3: yeah. If, if
2: if if I were in this, if if I if I were in this episode, yeah. If I were in this show, I would absolutely a hundred percent make it completely unfunny. unless i became the al borland character i was i was at the heart of all the jokes
0: (laughs) i love it um yeah so i guess that episode the let's go to the videotape is probably the closest we're gonna get to this sort of uh you know uh healthy apology um but that that's very interesting and definitely something to keep an eye on in terms of accountability on Tim moving forward. Um, Let's transition a bit into his dynamic with Al. Um, There's an episode I want to point out in particular. I don't think you've watched it recently, but maybe you remember it from your youth. But uh, Al and Tim are asked to take over um, another TV show on their public access lot, Cooking with Irma. It's a cooking show. And because Al is, you know, more akin to, uh cultured tastes if you will um he becomes the host and Tim becomes the uh assistant the assistant thank you i'm I'm really bad at thinking of words
1: i, I was assisting you in that case <laughs> appreciate that it that's positive masculinity <laughs>
0: um and uh Tim gets kind of up in a huff because you know he's not the center of attention and he's constantly making fun of al and that that all is pretty common. You know, he's always making fun of Al's weight, or his beard, or his flannel, or his mom. Um, Yeah, that's a big one. Um, But what was interesting about this episode is at the end of it, Tim says to Al, Look, I make fun of you because I I love you. I think of you as my brother. And Al, in his kind of sensitive ways and looking for validation and connection with other people, just accepts this blindly and, like, kind of gives this weepy-eyed uh, bear hug to him as a thank you. And that felt very kind of problematic to me as well.
2: Right. Yeah, because I, I think I understand why, and, and let, me, let me throw this out there and okay. see if this is why it felt problematic to you. Did it feel problematic to you because it meant that Al just had to go with Tim's way of doing it?
0: Yeah, well, there was no accountability for Tim... Uh, to stop insulting people for his yeah. own expense, you know,
2: and, right? And, and I think there's, there you know, we can have relationships like this. Um, it, like for example, um, actually, this just happened today. I was, uh, I was talking with a friend of mine uh, who lives out in North Carolina, and uh, we were talking. He's talking about we were planning a trip that we're going to be going on, and he said his his parents had uh, an RV that we may be able to take. And he said, yeah, they've had it for years, and I didn't know that they even had it. I must be a terrible son. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. my reply to him was, oh, come on, you're not a terrible son. You're a terrible person. <laughs> and <laughs> but, but that's like the relationship that we have. Right. We've developed that relationship because it kind of goes back to one of the things that we've talked about on our show quite a bit, which is the love languages. Yes. Yes. Uh, it was a book that we've we've mentioned, and uh, we have a book club that we do for Patreons, but we're not very good at it. Um, if you
0: ever, <laughs> well, if for if what we it's worth, I did read. It. I did this... read uh, um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck.
2: <laughs> did you really? I did. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all right. It's, <laughs> some, it's had it had its moments. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is a really good book, and if we ever get to it. Um, I, I'd like to do a book club for it, but I guess the idea is it, it kind of works with, um, friendship relationships as well, okay. you know, where, um, we have to understand how, how we receive love from other people. And mm. within my friend group, that is like, I get that message. I definitely get that message that when, when my friends mm. are making fun of me, it's because they like me. It's, you know, that's something, and and that message is received. But I think the interesting thing between Tim and Al is that's Tim's way of communicating, but I don't know if that's Al's way of receiving it.
0: Yeah, precisely, yeah. And I feel like Al constantly demonstrates the ways in which he would like to receive things, and Tim is either incapable of that or he can't um, acquiesce to his experience, uh, Al's experience of it and thus, because he can't understand it, mocks it.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. I, I think... I, one example that I found that was pretty egregious of this, there's an episode where, where Al invites Tim to go ice fishing with him at his oh, yes. ice fishing shack. Al is very upfront about you know, yeah, I'm looking forward to spending this time with you and getting to know each other better and talking and everything. And Tim comes along in this, he brings like a he brings a little like portable television and and like magazines. magazines. Like he he is just so abundantly clear that he doesn't want to talk to Al the entire time. And he makes it very clear that he doesn't want to talk you know, like he is disrespectful to Al when Al tries to talk to him and and just can't seem to understand why his friend would want to have a meaningful discussion with him and it finally it takes wilson just basically explaining that to him like sometimes your friends want to talk to you <laughs> for tim uh, to realize it yeah and then he <clears throat> I, I don't know so but it, it's like that sort of thing where it doesn't even strike me as tim treating al this way because he's expressing love it strikes me that tim treats al this way because he likes having someone to abuse and it doesn't seem as though Tim has genuine affection for Al.
2: Yeah, that's a good observation. Definitely. I can, I can definitely see that.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, it's... Uh, like, I certainly... Like, I have I have friends who I have that sort of relationship with where it's like we josh each other playfully, but it... Right. I don't know. For, for Tim, it just falls on deaf ears for me when he makes these sort of claims that, oh, I'm doing it because I love you because I never actually see the... You know, I mean, there's these... <laughs> There's these token examples of him loving Al where he will occasionally do a nice thing, but it's like it's these nice things get these drops of nice things get lost in the greater ocean of shitty treatment.
0: Yeah, it is right. just kind of white noise, and it comes down to like a number of things with Tim, I think a lot of it is having the last laugh and being, you know, the one on top where you'll see an exchange between Tim and Al, which, you know, I think we can't take their um, On screen, tool time dynamic as uh, sanctimonious as the like off screen Tim and Al friend uh, dynamic, but Tim will you know make a joke. Al will sometimes have a, a witty retort, which is great and funny. And then if Tim can't think of a way to one up him, he'll just you know do one of those cat hisses, um, no. which is contributing nothing and just kind of not not being able to allow that, uh, even that kind of playful, um, sparring to, to take place.
2: Right. Yeah. (laughs) He also seems to be at times, uh, if I, not now that we're talking about this, like it's kind of starting to jog my memory a little bit. He almost at times seems to struggle picking up on social cues. Did you notice that?
0: Interesting. No. Well, can you give me an example?
2: Well, I guess I was thinking kind of like with the example of, you know, with uh, Al wanting to spend time with him. Yes. And and blatantly just saying, hey, it'd be good to kind of talk with, talk, you know, and hang out and get to know you a little bit. And he's just completely oblivious to that because it's not what's on his agenda.
3: Yeah. I
2: mean, his agenda is I want to do these things. and, And so I'm going to bring these things with me. And if you're there, okay, great. But at the end of the day, it's all about me kind of accomplishing what I want to accomplish.
0: Sure. Yeah. And that, that touches on, um, I would like to go through just a, a brief examination of some of the, the traits of each of the characters. But I think that, that, Puts a finger on a little bit of uh, Tim's underlying uh, traits a bit. Um, well, let's go into uh, something that is I, I feel like always a, a talking point, a controversial talking point, which is the the male sexual fantasy and um, the kind of male gaze uh, for things. Um, specifically, in, in terms of Tim comparing women to cars and. Um, I would say even the depiction of the tool girls, uh, Heidi and Lisa, like what, what, uh, is there, <laughs> is there a healthy way to kind of, uh, still endure or uh, still have that sec- male sexual fantasy without, um, denigrating or subjecting women to our, our will?
2: Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I guess this is all. know to kind of look at this from like an evolutionary perspective Mm -hmm. Um, we we have that drive constantly to procreate it's deep within the limbic system of our brain it's one of our main you know functions it's it's instinctive Um, but what separates us from other animals uh, is that we've developed the frontal lobe you know which is kind of the executive processing part of the brain which is meant to override the other part you Mm -hmm. know so Um, whereas, you know, when I take my dogs to the dog park, uh, if they see an attractive dog and they want to mate with that dog, uh, there's no social custom, you know, there's no like taking them out to eat first or, you know, Oh, we shouldn't do this here. This is a public place. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, you know, we as human beings, because we've developed this frontal lobe, we can override that drive. Um, and so I think I, I, yeah, of course there's going to be ways that we can, you know, regulate that and still maintain healthy sexual fantasy without acting on every impulse. Yeah. Well, and
1: to to point to a more specific uh, thing, like you, Landon mentioned, Tim equating women with cars. There's been multiple episodes now where Tim seem he expresses he says things that that lead me to believe or basically explicitly s- suggest that he is sexually attracted two cars. Like, he tells a story to Wilson one time (laughs) about how I would take, when I was in college and and Jill and I were dating, I'd take her to the drive-in and she'd think it was to make out, but really I just wanted to look at the other cars and then I'd get excited and then I'd make out with her. And then there's another time... Interesting. another time he's talking to, he's talking with some some old friend about, like, an old girlfriend or something. Or they're talking about, like, old flings or old flames. And Tim is talking about some girl he used to go out with and the only thing he can remember about her... Is how great her car was, and how he'd always want to go right. out and park someplace with her because of how much he liked her car. Um, wh- what well, up with that?
2: Yeah, I need to watch a lot more episodes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we should have given you a required reading yeah. list before yes. this. I mean, well, that's, it seems like a David Cronenberg esque, yeah, thing, right. almost, to be to be hung up on on cars. Like, is that a is there some sort of deeper like masculine ideal to, or like I. You know, like, you can own a car, you can possess and modify a car as you want, and Tim wants to be able to do that to a woman, or... I, I don't know. Then I'd be, yeah. yeah.
2: That is interesting. I could definitely see, yeah, that being kind of a control factor, I guess. Something that he can kind of manipulate and and build and shape into kind of what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Wow. To me,
0: the more I think about it, you know, and kind of weaving in what I know of Tim Allen and what we've seen of Tim Taylor, it does seem like he has almost a compulsive need to understand how things work and clearly states all of the time that he doesn't understand women. Uh, So maybe by comparing women to cars, it's a way of being able to understand them a bit better, but, you know, that might serve him, but in terms of communicating that to uh, uh, an audience uh, that's watching along, seems like it's maybe not the, the most elegant thing to do.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, that is that is interesting. I guess it's kind of hard to really understand what's going on in his head and kind of what his intent is yeah. behind all of that. Um obviously he's you know and I, I think I guess part of this it kind of makes me again kind of focus back on to like his his focus is all about himself and his interest in cars. And he mm-hmm. has an intense interest in cars. And so um, you know, with his relationships, the focus is generally on him, not really the relationship. Right. Um, and it just seems like the cars and the women to him are both kind of in the same category, I guess, in a sense. If you could, if that makes yeah any sense at all. Like, like it's yeah. just it's just another thing that's about him.
0: Yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. And this is, you know, I, I think just examining like the tool time set as a monument to manhood, uh, and that the only women who really step into it with only a few exceptions, um, are, you know, Heidi and, and Lisa, when she was on the show, it's, you know, you've got the, the depiction of women that's on screen at all times, as anyone that listens to our show will point out <laughs> is the calendar in the background, <laughs> which, oh. you know, has uh you know, it's kind of a pinup calendar. Um, but right. then Heidi comes out in her short shorts and tight shirt and uh has that kind of um car model uh s-quality to her. She's, you know, she's eye candy for the tool show about men. Um right. and it seems a little uh you know, how how do you reconcile the the idea of not giving up masculinity and the things that you like um while not putting it into a kind of distressful situation um do you do you find anything problematic with the way the tool time set is kind of a monument to manhood
2: uh do i find it i don't know i mean i yes in the sense that i think it it definitely you know again it goes back to this uh, this view of masculinity and it is it is Constantly reinforcing and portraying that one view of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think that again kind of goes back to the whole theme of, of the show, uh, which which can be problematic, um, you know, that we're, that we're only seeing that one piece. I think Al uh, is definitely a, a counterweight to that, and, and Wilson as well. Yeah. Um, being able to see other male figures that, don't seem to fit into that mold. Um, without them, obviously, I don't think you'd have really a show. But I <laughs> right. That, that the other that masculinity part would be overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, right. And it almost kind of reminds me too of like, you know, I don't know if you guys ever watched the Man Show. Oh yeah. I mean, that was yeah. Adam Carpolla, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Um, kind of the same thing. I mean, it was just <laughs> it was intense intensely reinforcing the one view of masculinity.
0: Right. I actually think Jimmy Kimmel is an interesting case study in how masculinity can evolve. Uh, cause he, exactly. that show was part of this era of, uh, how, what can masculinity turn into when left unchecked? <laughs> um, yeah, but in getting, you know, the ABC gig and the late night gig, uh, and having to just, you know, represent, so much of America, Jimmy Kimmel has really turned into, um, you know, a, a champion of diversity,
1: which is, uh, fantastic. And, and someone who's willing to go up on camera and start crying, talking right. about yeah. his love for his son and the fears that he has for his son do things that would be very much at odds with the man show, <laughs> yeah, which also I think yeah. speaks to him growing up. Right.
2: Yeah. Which is, I I think, really important, uh, you know, that we understand that, yes, it, it, our views of masculinity change uh, individually as we get older. You know, my mm-hmm. view of masculinity now is a lot different than it was when I was in my 20s. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, and then I think we as a culture change uh, our view of masculinity as well. But yeah, I would agree. I think Jimmy Kimmel is a great example of, of how that, that change can occur.
0: Right. Um, to kind of bring it back to the male sexual fantasy part, I want to, um, just briefly highlight, uh, we haven't seen it in quite a while, but, um, going behind the scenes, uh, not necessarily Tim Taylor's male sexual fantasy, but some of the, the male sexual fantasy of the production, the writing, um, there were a Uh lot of episodes, I would say, of the three and uh, three and a half seasons that we've seen, uh, probably twelve to fifteen episodes will end with um, either Jill initiating sex or Jill agreeing to
1: have sex to fix a problem in the marriage. Um, hmm. There, there is there is one episode where Tim and Jill are in a dispute over usage of the garage. Jill wants to have a pottery wheel up there, but Tim doesn't want to share the space with her back and forth, back and forth, a lot of argument. Tim will not understand her point of view. At the end of the episode, Jill says, I just want to have my own space so that then when I am around you, then we can, I, I don't know, but like basically she says, I, I wish I had my own space, that way when we have sex it will be better. And then she basically <laughs> propositions him, and the episode ends with them having sex, never resolving the issue of where is Jill's <laughs> private space going to be.
0: Or if Tim understands that, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That yeah, I, I do remember that. Uh, you know, and in the the last episode that I uh, that I watched with the uh, the videotape.
3: Yes. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It, it it ended. I mean, she just. I I don't understand how she got over it that quickly. Um, and then just just like, oh, you made another videotape to correct the other one. That's right. very sweet. And so I'll kiss you. you yeah. Know? Um, yeah, I think that's. It's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic because, or an in- interesting uh, character, uh, because I think on one hand, it's it's great to portray women as having a sexual desire. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and that you know, as opposed to I think a lot of other sitcoms in the past where it's you know, sex has always been male-driven. Right, and uh, you know, it's always been something that women will put up with in order to please the man but not something that they engage in themselves you know so I think that in that sense it's good but yeah I, I and I think this kind of goes back to you know what we talked about earlier is you know I, I at some point the sitcom has to end and it, it just <laughs> seems like we're running out of time so he says sorry and then she has to somehow demonstrate that she accepts the apology right <laughs> and it's, seems to take the form of sex, I guess.
0: Yeah. It just seems like there could even just be a simpler and funnier way to end the episode and accomplish those things than to just have her be so ready and willing to, to make up through sex. I do agree with you that it is great to see, um, a woman and a woman in the nineties, the especially a, a housewife. Yeah. Um, as she's been depicted in the first two seasons, uh, be so sexually assertive and and independent in that regard. Um, it's when it, it's she's acquiescing to Tim's, you know, half-hearted uh, Band-Aid solution that it becomes kind of tricky for me. But um,
2: Yeah, well, in that sense, it almost seems kind of manipulative.
0: Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Um, well, we're getting a little long on time. I want to just uh, push ahead to a few other topics here. Um, one thing... Since we are talking about the the videotape episode, because um, this is a problem that I have with Tim very often, which is how he talks about people. Uh, in that particular episode, you know the whole issue is that he's you know shit talking Jill uh, specifically about things but and you know I get that that has to be that way for the sitcom to have a conflict and a resolution. Uh, however, I think it's worth pointing out. Um, and this is where I'd love to give your take on how, what, what is a healthy way of venting to people that isn't, um, putting the people that you're venting about down?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a good question. I think there's definitely a, a healthy way of doing it when you're focusing on, um, when when you're kind of focusing on how you feel about something. A behavior that somebody else did right so we're not focusing on um, labels like saying you know this person is blank or or, Mm -hmm. we're assigning blame or anything like that but we're focusing on this person did this and this is how I reacted to it this is the feeling I get right Mm -hmm. that's really what venting is all about is it's it's not focusing so much on the other person's behavior it's we really should be focusing on why does that behavior cause this reaction in me? Right. This is actually one of the biggest uh, struggles that people have had that I've worked with in the past. Um, you know, when I've worked with people that come into our rehab program, uh, they they want to focus so much on the other person's behavior, mm. and I I have to constantly redirect because there's no answer there. Right. You're not going to get somebody to change their behavior. You're not going to get somebody to start, you know, doing something different simply because you want them to do something different. If you really want lasting change, let's instead of focusing on that person's behavior, let's focus on why did that behavior affect you? Right. Like why is that a soft spot for you? Did that did that touch on something that you're still carrying with you from the past? You know, did this remind you of something else that it has occurred? Because whatever it is, we can disarm that behavior by looking at uh, ourselves internally.
0: Sure, I don't yeah. know if
2: that's making sense of no, all. No, but...
0: absolutely does. Uh, and I, I think that that's, it points directly to something Jill says in the videotape episode, which is the double standard between when men do it and when women do it. And when, uh-huh. when, uh, what she says is when women do it, it's considered gossip. And, uh, what I find interesting about what you said and what they did in the episode is that Tim is the one that is essentially gossiping because he's the one that is not focusing on experience so much as all of the trivial details and how somebody else's behavior affects him. Uh, I, well, maybe not even that, but how he labels it as you, to use your words. Right. Um, right he at no point expresses how it affected him outside of Jill is boring. Uh, My wife is so boring when. It's not, I have a hard time connecting with my wife or she's getting into this thing and, you know. um, I think there's a, in my own personal life and dealing with people, I I think that that is an interesting uh, uh, idea that people have a hard time grappling with. Because maybe it's because...
1: Shit talking people feels good. <laughs> there's <laughs> something important. cathartic about yeah. it, like in the moment. And Tim yeah. is all just about what feels good to Tim. Yeah,
0: just yes. in the moment, though, right? Yeah. I think that's the key, right? Exactly, and
2: and there is there's an important distinction to make here too, and and that is identifying what his intent is. Like in that moment, his intent isn't to solve the problem, right? His his intent, I think, is to bond. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Think it's it's really not even about her at all. It's hey, we've got something that we can all relate to. Uh, let's just stay on this topic and, <laughs> so we can, we can bond. Now, hypothetically, let's just say if this was something that um, he was looking for a solution for and yeah. this wasn't a bonding thing, then what I would talk to Tim about is I'd be asking Tim, why do you have, a, have difficulty finding, interests or finding interest in what she has to say? Or finding um, finding pleasure in hearing about you know what's going on in her life mm-hmm. uh, you know and kind of exploring that a little bit and I think part of that does have to do with maybe some narcissistic traits that he has which, right. which is just all about you know his main focus is on him her education is not that important because it doesn't have anything to do with him right and this even it, it, it even you know comes true later on in the episode when He's uh, reading her books. You know what is he doing? Well, he says he's trying to understand him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly.
2: It's still with even though it's to to Jill, it looks like a different behavior, and that he's making an effort. The underlying issue is it's nothing's really changed.
1: Yeah. Right. I he he still fooled me with that one. Him reading the books for me, I was like, oh my god, he's
2: changed.
1: <laughs> I'm. I'm See, yeah, until yeah. we got suffered by Tim.
2: This is I'm gonna now I'm gonna vent for a minute. Okay. Because, <laughs> uh, this uh, this really bothered me watching this episode that that scene specifically because okay. he's got two books in front of him and the things that he is saying he's reading about would not be in those two books <laughs> <laughs> because the first book that he's got in front of him. Is It says social psychology, and so he says he's learning about his superego, right. which wouldn't be in a social psychology book. <laughs> the second book is actually, it's an older version of the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Okay. And so he said, yeah, I just finished chapter two, but that book isn't broken down by chapters. That, <laughs> that is, it's broken down by diagnoses.
1: Oh, Okay. <laughs> so, so t- two thumbs down for uh, <laughs> let's go to the video game.
2: Psychologically so inaccurate. The, their therapist consultant is on that show, they need to be fired.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? A couple
0: episodes ago, uh, Jill was you know, she just started college and was looking for her abnormal psychology book. Um, which I think is uh, maybe not a 101 course. <laughs> just, if, if it is uh, even a course at all. I don't know.
2: It, it, we did have... Uh abnormal psych when i was in college mm-hmm. um and I, yeah i think i took it maybe my junior year it yeah it wasn't uh, it wasn't early on yeah not first
1: term freshman year
0: would imagine you yeah. need to know how to build a foundation of a house before putting a roof on it but
1: I,
2: right.
0: tim, right. that's tim just me would, tim would probably dispute
1: that honestly <laughs> why the hell not just build the thing <laughs>
0: right. oh man well um okay so i think we've kind of covered the underlying uh, issue between uh this next point um this next item here but just to see if you have any brief thoughts on it of tim constantly uh breaking from what they're doing on tool time to stand on a soapbox and address the audience and viewers at home um to go over a personal issue he's having <laughs> right. I, it does sound a lot like just the narcissism and and focusing only on himself but uh do you have any additional thoughts to that
2: well it, it is interesting that that would even uh, I mean obviously it's a TV show so we can't take it too seriously right, but exactly. yeah that it, it is it is interesting that he yeah he will use any outlet he can any <laughs> uh, connection he has to an audience right to you know kind of talk about himself and things that he's going through um, you know with One thing I think is important to kind of point out, you know, I've, I've even said, you know, during this broadcast that, uh, I've used the word narcissistic and Mm -hmm. I I definitely think it's important to point out that there's definitely a difference between having narcissistic traits versus a narcissistic diagnosis. Right. Um, and this is one thing that we've talked about quite a bit on our show too. Um, we don't see it a whole lot with, well, I guess narcissism does come up usually when we have people write in and say that, you know, my, my boyfriend's a narcissist. <laughs> and then we're always, we're always very quick to say, well, unless he's diagnosed with that, he right. probably isn't. He probably just has traits.
0: <laughs> That's interesting you say that because uh, we we used to have this theory, and it's still, I think, a little plausible. Mm-hmm. But we we were specifically saying that Randy, the middle child, Jonathan Taylor Thomas – might be a psychopath in the making (laughs) uh, because he displays a number of kind of chilling qualities. Uh, I've, I've made a a forward effort to stop using those terms and just saying that he (laughs) might be developing into something uh, a little scary, but um, you, you, your point being that uh, it's always kind of a red flag when people are self diagnosing or diagnosing others before they even get into, um, the chair with you guys, right?
2: Right, yeah. And a good example of that. Uh, my favorite example to use is OCD, you know, obsessive compulsive uh, yes. disorder. Um, I hear that all the time that people will say, "Oh, I'm so OCD,"
3: <laughs> and,
2: and really, no, they're not, because you know, if I, you know, they'll say something like, "Oh, I'm so OCD," you know, everything on my desk has to be perfect, right? And then I will, you know, I'll say, "Well, if it isn't, you know, does it does it keep you from holding down a job?" Does it keep you from having uh, intimate or interpersonal relationships with other people? Does it mm-hmm. keep you from, you know, functioning in society? Well, no. Then, okay, then you don't have OCD. You just, you're just you just clean. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's, there's a big difference. Uh, and narcissism is kind of the same. He definitely has a lot of narcissistic traits. Uh, mm-hmm. Would he fully meet criteria for it? I, I don't know. Um, I, but the prevalence... For narcissistic personality disorder, yeah, uh, and studies has shown to be somewhere between zero and six point two percent. So it's pretty low. Oh,
3: okay. Um.
2: So most likely, if you think somebody has a narcissistic personality disorder, statistically speaking, they probably don't.
0: Interesting. Wow. Yeah.
2: But um, it's it's funny when you were talking about Randy. Yeah. Because uh, <clears throat> I heard you say that before. Um, I don't know if it was an email correspondence or if I heard it. On yeah, your, I, on I think it was
0: in the initial uh, idea to ask you to be on the show. Yeah. We were going to throw these things by yeah. you to get your so, thoughts.
2: Once you, that's one of the things that I, I obviously when I was watching as a kid, I wasn't tuned into that. Yeah. So once you said that, I, it really sparked interest. So when I went back and I started watching some of the episodes, I was like, I was intently looking for that. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that's interesting with. Um, antisocial personality disorder right essentially is the diagnosis Um, it's it's pretty difficult to get that diagnosis because you have to you have to actually first show signs of what's called conduct disorder Mm -hmm. uh, before the age of 15 so you can't diagnose a personality disorder from anyone uh, on anybody younger than 18 because You can't really make an argument for a personality disorder when personality doesn't really fully develop until you're, you
3: know,
2: mid twenties even. So it's not a diagnosis that gets made very early, but uh, conduct disorder is an adolescent diagnosis. It's kind of like an adolescent version of it. Interesting. Okay. But but one of the things I don't think he would meet criteria for that. Um, actually in the last episode that I watched was the one with the videotape. Mm -hmm. One thing that I, that caught my attention was that Randy really empathized with his mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In that episode, he, he, as well as his older brother, but he really said, you know, what he was saying, it it really kind of made it seem like he was trying to understand things from her perspective But not only how she would perceive it, but how she would feel about it, which is something that you're typically not going to get with somebody with antisocial personality disorder or even conduct disorder.
0: Right, because they have a strain of apathy in them and they don't recognize those sorts of distinctions, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was initially we were kind of just finding the cereal box uh <laughs> traits, you know, <laughs> the you know, he comes back with uh, you know, a turtle shell and he's always threatening to um, you know, kill Mark
1: or send him back to the uh the orphanage or he, he, he will come up with these elaborate forms of psychological torture to like gaslight Mark into thinking he's the his parents are aliens or something like that.
3: <laughs> oh, yes.
0: Yeah.
1: There's just a lot of manipulation
0: going on with uh, with Randy and um it has kind of uh softened over the last season and a half yeah now he's just becoming a cool dude (laughs) right (laughs) um I think he's you know shaping into somebody and I I I do think it's additionally complicated when you get an actor like Jonathan Taylor Thomas who just has an awareness beyond his years um it makes him seem a little more devious Yeah. yeah good point um, but while we're, we're going through, uh, the character traits here, why don't we, uh, just kind of run down the list? We, we've covered Tim, I think pretty, uh, thoroughly, unless you have any, um, thoughts on the distinction between narcissism or narcissistic uh, qualities and egotism and, you know, Tim's ego.
2: No, not really. I mean, I, I think egotism is probably a, a pretty good word for it. I mean, yeah. definitely narcissistic traits, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't have a whole lot, whole lot else to add to that. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> I mean, I think that honestly the most relevant one is Wilson because he just functions like a therapist in many ways for right. for Tim.
0: Yeah. And he's, he's just an interesting case study, I think, because he's kind of an isolationist, it seems. Um, you know, he doesn't really have people in his life. I mean, we've met his mother, but for the most part, you know, he's kind of a loner, and he's out there really... <laughs> relying on Tim for his social life.
2: Yeah, yeah, he does, and I think, um, you know, this again, we would kind of go back to a clinically significant level of distress. Yeah, uh, dis- distress. You know, in his case, um, you know, we would, if uh, if I was meeting with Wilson, uh, that would probably be the first thing we would talk about. Is okay? Is this co- is this a problem for you? Right, <laughs> because I think. I mean, I haven't watched a whole lot of the show, but from what I have seen, it seems more like just kind of a life choice, uh, more yeah. so than, well, than Eddie's is not able to connect.
0: Let me pose it to you like this: um, looking at Wilson and you know him being kind of a loner, into a lot of hobbies, um, clearly reads a lot. At what point do you would you start looking for red flags and going, well, did something distressing? Happen to cause this, uh, these life choices.
2: Um, we would start looking for things. It in in this particular case, when he identifies that this is a problem.
0: Okay, so it starts with him.
2: Yeah, it's it's going to start with him. Mm-hmm. Um, because if he doesn't identify it as a problem, and no one else around him is really concerned by it, because that's the other piece too. Obviously, if if we only relied on just solely on the individual, then no one would ever have. A substance abuse problem, right? Now. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, we would have to consider uh, information, collaborative information from family members and close friends. Yeah. But you know, the other interesting thing too about Wilson is, you know, he he talks to his neighbors. You know, like who mm-hmm. does that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Age, yeah. I- I, we lived in uh, the same house in a, a suburb of Detroit for 24 years, and I don't think I knew any of our neighbors. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know my neighbors. <laughs> I, although I guess I guess I would I would counter it's not so much that Wilson talks to his neighbors. Wilson's neighbor talks to him, and uh, Wilson yeah. is polite enough to respond. I mean, Wilson yeah. seldom really seems to want to be talking to Tim. It's just he has shit he has to do in his backyard, and then Tim comes out there and starts yammering. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's
1: true. Um, let's move on to
0: Al and kind of uh, counter our balance with talking about. Uh, toxic masculinity with, let's talk about Al's sensitivity. Um, At what point, or is there a point at which people can be too sensitive or are there sensitive um, traits that Al is displaying that might be uh, problematic to his development if he was a real person?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, I guess to answer the first question, is there a level of sensitivity that can be problematic? Yes, definitely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, a lot of people will go into... Uh, into therapy. I mean, sometimes it, it, it can be kind of insecurity issues. Um, Maybe they become, they're, they're too sensitive and maybe they they don't have a very high self-esteem. They don't feel very good about themselves. And as a result, you know, interactions with other people tend to be problematic. You know, they will read too much into things, um, you know, and and internalize too many uh, social cues Mm -hmm. as you know, and that could be a problem. I, I think he's probably far away from that. He, he's, he's very sensitive on the show, but he also seems to be pretty well, uh, psychologically and emotionally stable. Okay. Um, it, 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 doesn't seem to be a problem, something that's interfering in his daily life by any means.
0: Well, I, there, there are a few examples that I would kind of counter with, with that, where he, I, I, in my estimation, again, not being a licensed anything, uh, <laughs> there are moments when it's clear women are attracted to him. Uh, he seems to have no problem uh, – or women seem to have no problem expressing their interest to him. But he never seems to value himself enough to recognize that or to think that he's um, you know, uh, worthy of them. And wow. I would I would add to that that uh, another example of that kind of um, undervaluing himself is when he is having these moments with Tim and saying, you know, you're my best friend, uh, you're my, you know, whatever. And when you say these things, it hurts me where, you know, he's not valuing himself enough to go and develop friendships that are healthier than what he has with Tim elsewhere that he kind of like accepts what's in front of him because he doesn't look beyond, uh, you know, his own worth.
2: Right. Yeah. So that, I mean, so you could make the argument there that that is a clinically uh, significant level of distress. Um, you know, it's if when it starts impacting his relationships or, um, his inability to form new relationships to create new friends or, um, yeah, seeing himself as, uh, not worthy of, uh, women who are attracted to him. Yeah, I mean, and that's pretty common, I think. I mean, I know a lot of males, especially, that uh, kind of fall in that category as well. And just um, maybe low self-esteem, just overall discomfort with with women, and they just don't have a whole lot of confidence.
0: Yeah. Then, uh, let's see, I don't know if we need to... Can we cover, like, all three of the brothers and maybe talk a little bit about um, the dynamics of... Uh, pecking order, I guess.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Because <laughs> Truman and I, that's one aspect of this show that we just have no access to. Being both only children, I, you know, we don't know how, how that works. Right, yeah. Um. So, like, what... <laughs> uh, I guess, I don't know if you could draw from your own experience,
1: since you have, you know, a sister, and we're talking about three boys, but... The, the hierarchy there usually seems to be that Randy and you know Brad the oldest and Randy the middle child seem to have formed an alliance and are constantly terrorizing Mark in one way or another, and that has persisted from the beginning of the show well into season four and, i mean is that is that a normal thing is that does that tend to be the case in sets of three siblings <laughs> um, do they I mean, often rearrange
0: them. themselves by height order because yeah. we see that a lot in <laughs> the show too <laughs> they do
2: don't they <laughs> well, I said, so you said that um. No, I don't necessarily think there, there's so many dynamics that that are going to you know, play a factor here. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very difficult to to say that there's any kind of particular pattern with you know uh, which two siblings are going to connect. Um, part of it is probably going to have to do with personality um part of it is going to have to do with differences in age. Yeah. You know, if two of them are closer in age than the other um the other thing that's also kind of interesting and I'm I'm really just kind of going off of memory here from when I was a kid, but I always kind of saw Randy, the middle child, as really almost kind of being the ringleader of the group.
0: Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. That's totally just,
2: true. Yeah, which that is an interesting dynamic that um that the middle child is the ringleader. It's um, it is interesting because what ends up,
0: uh, well, the change that we saw last season and is continuing uh, through this is that the the writers really decided to double down and make Brad kind of a dum dum, uh, like he's he's inheriting more of Tim's traits of not exactly getting what's in front of him, uh, you know, the common sense stuff where. Randy is taking more of Jill's traits of being self-aware and calling people out on their, you know, um, irrationality and that sort of stuff. And Mark is just kind of um, a typical youngest child, always trying to hang out with his older brothers, it seems like.
2: Right. Well, in that sense, I think that that does kind of make sense why, why Brad and Randy would kind of team up, um, because you always want an ally, yeah, you know, um, and with uh, with Randy kind of being the ringleader, uh, but Brad still being bigger, uh, <laughs> it, it kind of makes sense that oh well, that's the person I'm going to team up yeah, with. Yeah, it's the
0: brain and the brawn.
2: Yeah, the the one that could kick my ass is the one. <laughs> yeah. I'm team up on My team. Yeah. So you know, in order to bring him closer onto my team, then it makes sense that we would distance ourselves from Mark as much as we possibly can.
0: Right. And clearly Mark is no threat to them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the last person that we can talk about, uh, though, she seems to be the one that has the strongest head on her shoulders is Jill. Um,
1: why do you think Jill and Tim are married? Do you think they have a healthy relationship? <laughs> like
2: idea. Yeah. It's, like, it's wh- got to be the sex. I,
1: <laughs> wow. I, I guess, well, I mean, she clearly, yeah, that seems to be her favorite thing about being married to him. Yeah, She's specifically <laughs> into
0: three-minute unsatisfying sex. For some reason, that gets her off. Because that's what she mentions all the time, is like, I'm so quick to have sex with you, but... Also, you never take more
1: than a minute or two. <laughs> you know, and let's not shame her if that's her fetish. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, it makes her feel powerful in some way to shame Tim for it constantly. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's... I'm okay. Well, if you, if you can't figure out why they're married, then no one can. And there is no answer <laughs> well, to that question.
2: What, I, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. I remember... Wasn't her father like a military yes. general or yep. like uh, high colonel. ranking military guy, right? right. Yeah, yeah, he's a
1: colonel. Yeah. With, so, with rage tendencies. <laughs>
2: yeah. So I think, you know, that that's definitely a factor. I mean, she learns, we all learn about relationships by watching relationships. Right. And the first relationship we see is our parents. So that kind of sets the stage for what is a man? What is masculinity? And, um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's possible that Tim shares some of those masculine traits with his father-in-law. That could be a point of attraction. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Tim isn't exactly commanding the way that her father is, but I could see it being the the same kind of uh, bullheadedness.
1: that Just sheer masculinity, like in the same way that being an aggressive warrior type is one thing (laughs) being an aggressive builder type.
2: And maybe that's what makes Tim perfect for her, is he has the masculinity, but can also be manipulated, can also be kind of guided, and and she has some kind of control over him.
0: And he also has uh, a clown face to put on it, so it's a way of maybe uh, making that more tolerable, or I don't know. um, It's interesting. I haven't thought about that before. No.
2: yeah Plus, <laughs> let's not forget let's not forget the main reason which is that the show wouldn't work any other way yes <laughs> yeah that's the answer to it's all true. of our
1: questions but what, <laughs> what
0: what i find really interesting and we've talked about this since the pilot episode is that they had a another actress cast as jill up to one week before the show went on and oh. uh they only brought patricia richardson in at the last second because the other actress while she's a fantastic actress Tended to come off as kind of shrill and um, typical, you know, nagging housewife against Tim's uh, ineptitude about things. And Jill has this um, way about her that counterbalances, to use one of your words, a lot of Tim's stuff because you can tell she's, you know, there's something about their marriage that she's in it to win it, but she's not going to take a lot of his bullshit. She she recognizes it for what it is, but she, she's also quick to throw a joke in there and, and you know, rib with the best of them. So right. um, it's interesting that they ended up choosing a, a, an actress to to counterbalance Tim in that way, uh, to be able to put that spin on the character of Jill.
2: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I could see that.
0: All right. Well, um, I there's one item that isn't necessarily home improvement related, but just want to get your thought. It might not even be a psychological slant, but is, is there a way, um, a healthy way to approach separating the, a a problematic artist from the art that they produce? I mean, we're in this weird time and I, you know, I've been holding my breath the entire time we've been doing this podcast for Tim Allen to just not say something Mm -hmm. (laughs) super problematic the way that Roseanne did. Um, but yeah, <laughs> really destroy
2: your podcast. I know, it? right? We're all walking on a
0: tightrope here. <laughs> so to be able to to you know uh, the the most recent thing that's in the news is that John Wayne article has been resurfaced, hmm. uh, his his Playboy interview from 1971. And you know, I think anyone that knew John Wayne before reading that article, it wasn't a big surprise to them. But how do you? in the light of like bill cosby if we're gonna go through the sitcom route um roseanne or roseanne look at their their old work which is significant in some cases and culturally important um in a in a healthy way
2: yeah and and that is uh, that that's a tough one because what what ends up happening we there's this um this bias, this cognitive bias that we have called confirmation bias, Mm -hmm. right? Where basically it's, we always want to protect our belief system and our, our main goal is to maintain it, not to discredit it. So when we have a belief about something, we intentionally look for things to support the belief and not to disprove it. So when we have things like, you know, like, uh, I was thinking of Michael Jackson. Okay. Right. Yep. You know, where man, I love his music. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I was a big fan of Michael Jackson's music, but then like when the first allegations came out, then you're like, no, no, that (laughs) couldn't be, you know, because that doesn't fit with my belief system. Right. Uh, That doesn't fit with my perception. So I need to discredit this, but you can only discredit so many times. Right. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, when something happens like Roseanne was obvious, right? She right. tweeted it. You know, there's, yeah. no, there's <laughs> right. no way of distorting that back into, uh, yeah. and right. That's yeah. in
1: line with who Roseanne is. I mean, also that's I, not like a sharp departure from her normal personality.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, separating the art from the artist, uh, that is very difficult. I, um, I don't really have a good answer for that well, because it's, it, it, yeah, I mean, we, I, I still like the Roseanne show. And I, yeah. I think, you know, if I were to go back and watch old episodes of it, it would be difficult to, to, to yeah. look at that in the same light.
0: Well, to go off your, your Michael Jackson um, example, like, we might, you know, I, don't, I still don't know where I, I've fallen. And clearly, you know, I think we should always listen to victims. But at the end of the day, whatever the the, the reality is, whatever the truth comes out, Billie Jean is still going to be a danceable as fuck song. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yes. <laughs> right?
0: yeah. Right? So, absolutely. I mean, my personal view of it, and I, I don't know if I'm trying to protect myself from <laughs> discrediting my belief it's... system, but is that, you know, we can be adults and w- watch Woody Allen films or Roman Polanski films and recognize and contextualize like okay this is made by a problematic person okay this might have stemmed from problematic tendencies or value systems but you can't undo the impact that chinatown has had exactly uh and it seems equally problematic to me to go well we can't ever go back to chinatown uh, yeah. which is exactly what yeah. Jake doesn't want to do in the movie Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> he was doing a commentary on his own uh, trajectory in the future. I like it. Yeah. Um so I mean it kind of feels like turning your back on the problem as opposed to being an adult about it and and uh kind of having to weigh both things at once, which just seems like a lot of work that people don't want to do.
2: Right. We we have the ability, our brains have the ability to to compartmentalize things. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, where we, you know, we're not simple creatures where we're all all or nothing or just black and white. You know, we can we can uh, read a book and like some things that the author says and completely disagree with other things the author says. Right. And it doesn't discredit the entire thing. We don't have to throw the whole thing away. Um, yeah, I remember when uh, when Tiger Woods uh, right. was caught in his sex scandal. You know yeah and uh, I'm I'm a big golfer I love playing golf and uh, people were asking me like oh are you gonna stop you know, you know watching tiger
3: yeah right like,
2: well well no because I didn't start watching him because I thought he was an amazing husband I <laughs> right I right was watching him yeah. because he could drive the ball like no one else and right. he was an amazing player and that doesn't change the fact that he's an amazing golfer um, I won't marry him. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, well, and that's, you know, I, I feel like that's a that's an, actually
1: that's a really good way to look at it and a really good distinction because I, you know, I, I Chinatown is one of my favorite movies. It was very influential to me. I, I'm i not going to walk away from Chinatown. Uh, Louis C.K. used to be my favorite comedian. And now yeah, I will never true. listen to his work again because what he did completely invalidated so much of what he was saying, so much of how his comedy was about yeah. how men you know, can have these disgusting urges, but you still have to be a good person. And the fact that he wasn't even taking his own advice. There's a
0: certain direct hypocrisy about that particular instance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's another element to this, um, where we can talk about, you know, John Wayne now and kind of disgrace him, uh, retroactively. But, um, you know, there's something to be said about, uh, I think it was another Uh, there was a flop house, um, podcast that we listened to, where one of their hosts said, you know, you know, I'm going to go back and watch Chinatown. Chinatown's a great movie, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I um, will support giving Roman Polanski more opportunities to make movies. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's a financial, you know, gain that these, you know, some of these monsters can uh, still get, like R. Kelly, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, giving him concert opportunities or... If he's making any money off of streaming stuff, like it makes sense at that point to go, okay, well, I don't want this monster to have my money, therefore, I'll stop engaging with their their stuff now. Um,
2: yeah, that's a good argument. I, I I get that, and the the other the other piece about hypocrisy that makes sense to me too, you know because like with the Tiger Woods example there was no hypocrisy there. Right, right. That's like those were two different aspects of his life, his golf and then his personal, you know, relationships. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I mean it, it it would definitely be a lot more difficult to uh to give the same credence to somebody after a scandal than before when when the scandal was all about their main message. You know, I yeah, think of like right. uh, like tele Evangelist, you know. Oh yeah.
0: Um well, Nick, uh, we really want to thank you for being on the show today. Uh, yeah, why don't thank you so much. Take a second Thanks. and let people know where um, they can find you.
2: Yeah, um,
0: well, specifically uh, where where do podcast, you live? Give me your address. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. Go ahead. What's that? <laughs> I said, let show. them know exactly what your road address yeah. is. What yeah, your yeah, phone number yeah. is. Yeah. Listen <laughs> to
2: the Beagles. It's over, it's over by the In and Out Burger.
0: Oh, great, um, great.
2: <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah. You can find us at uh, our, our podcast is called Pod Therapy. Um, you can find us pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, just search Pod Therapy and, and you'll find us. Uh, we're on Twitter at Pod Therapy Guys, and our email is Guys at Gmail. And uh, Internet, we are at uh, PodTherapy.net. Podtherapy.com was taken. So. Oh
0: no! <laughs> yeah. uh, I work in web development. I know that uh, that struggle <laughs> well. So,
1: some company that makes seed pods or escape pods. <laughs> or, uh...
2: You know what it is? Is it's the uh, the deprivation chambers where you? Oh the float yeah! Tanks, the oh. Float Interesting yeah.
0: sensory deprivation.
1: That's that's a good yeah. plug for them too because yeah. I'm actually kind of interested in doing that, getting all all <laughs> states. Coming. Yeah, all right. So
2: check them out too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Record okay. podcast in there.
2: Yeah,
0: you should uh, do a co-sponsor thing with them. <laughs> we um, should. Yeah, and I just want to, you know, I want to urge listeners to check out your show. It is uh, probably the show that I've recommended to other people um, the most out of any podcast that I've listened to. Really. And in addition to that, the podcast that people have taken me up on listening, because, you know, we always have so many podcasts to listen to these days. And the one that people say that they've gotten something valuable out of it. So, um, Uh, I don't know a better, uh, uh, you know, sales pitch than that. I mean, it, it, it's honestly just such a fun show. You guys have a great dynamic and, uh. All right, Nick, well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, seriously, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll make sure everyone gets to where you
1: need to be. So there you have it. Oh, you know, it's been so great talking, and you've made some real breakthroughs, but I'm afraid our time is up. Oh, God. So feel free to take some Kleenex on your right. way out the door. Well, here's my 150 bucks. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Sound of me licking my thumb and ruffling through the money. Ha-cha-cha. Uh, that is the... the- the phrase every therapist uses. That's what, that's what my therapist says to me. <laughs> as the... you're, you're walking down the hall, as the door shuts, he's just like, ha-cha-cha, there's a little dance. Another sucker born every minute. Hey, boys, <laughs> we're going to Vegas. To, actually, that's the kind of, well, I'm not trying to imply that the therapist we just talked to is is doing that to his clients. He well, no, because he's already Vegas. in Vegas, so yes. he's just like, hey, we're
0: staying here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nick. We really appreciate uh, you being on our show. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out. I'm going to be bold right now. Yeah. I'm going to say my listeners. Our listeners.
1: I don't know why I went mine. Yeah, yeah. you're taking custody of our <laughs> listeners now? You're first you're cheating on us all their podcast, now you're taking the listeners? You're turning them against me? Oh, we need to go to couples therapy after this. I need to, I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna buy all the listeners bikes and Nintendos for their birthdays and for Christmas. I am going to teach them discipline and how to take care of themselves. I'm gonna give them their first beer. Um...
0: We want to thank Nick, and uh, what was, I was going to go with a joke that our listeners thank Nick. I don't know if they thank Nick. I thank Nick. You yes. thank Nick. Yes, Nick, thank you. Thank pod you, Therapy. Nick. If you guys are interested in um, hearing more Pod Therapy, check them out uh you can find them on any uh podcast catcher uh yeah. pod catcher. what do you call those things Pod catcher. Yeah, wherever you, you listen to them. your podcast you can find them uh just search for pod therapy you can find them on uh twitter which is pod therapy guys you can go to their website uh they take so the the thing about their show is they take um anonymous letters from people and then they crack it open on air i love it yeah uh so if you want to submit something to them uh reach out to them uh at pod ther- uh <laughs> at their website podtherapy.net and they also have a Patreon, which is really cool. They got some awesome content on there. You could find them. Patreon.com
1: slash therapy. Perfect. Yeah. That's a good that's a good Patreon name.
0: That is a a. do you think they're paying primo for that?
1: I, I well I think they're I think their patrons are paying primo for that. <laughs> I think they're just sitting back letting the bucks like, roll in. Fifty percent of our proceeds are gonna go directly to paying for this premium <laughs> Patreon name. Uh well either way, they're worth every penny of it because it's a it's a great <laughs> podcast and and uh, Nick was a great guest. And uh And you guys are all better people for having listened. I certainly am. Um, So that brings us to the end of
0: this episode, uh, which is where I usually go into Archspiel. Well, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Thanks for teasing it like that, like they didn't (laughs) know already. Uh, If you enjoyed today's show and want to help us create better content like the episode you're currently listening to, thanks, Wallace (laughs) Sean, coming in doing a guest read for us. (laughs) Consider becoming an official grunthead or neighbor. Over at our Patreon, Patreon dot com slash gruntworkpod. Yeah, I don't know, what do what do they get if they get there?
1: Well, if if they, <laughs> if they if they if they support us on Patreon, they get access to our supplemental podcast, Gruntwork Nights. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm trying to do my ad read here. No, I know. I'm just asking. Is it throwing you
0: off because we didn't do an actual full episode, and now we're going into it? It it.
1: feels kind of dirty
0: to just be. (laughs) Usually, we're in
1: a delirium by the time we get the. Yeah, I know. I'm oddly, I'm oddly cognizant of what's going on right now. (laughs) Uh, But you get access if you support us on Patreon. You get access to our supplemental podcast, Gruntwork Nights, which is a podcast (laughs) about everything but the TV series Home Improvement. And uh, it's it's dynamite. It's some of it's. I'm not going to say it's some of our funniest stuff, but it is some funny stuff. But it's not not some of our funniest stuff. I just I just don't want you to feel like oh like the normal podcast is a piece of shit because yeah no I mean it's all good but like we <laughs> we we were able to break free of the prison that is home improvement uh, and, and everybody needs a respite thing. yeah from time to time it's a little vacation
0: yeah exactly
1: it's, yeah some R and R which stands for respite
0: and uh and, and reconnaissance. Yes. <laughs> reconnaissance. Yes. Um and there are some great rewards over there. You get uh for the uh one tier you get a personalized thank you video. Yep you can sponsor a segment on our show which we didn't really have this week. Yeah. Um so In sorry but you know your sorry, your we, money. We're, is on going much, elsewhere. we're on a much needed vacation right now. Yeah, I Don't exactly. apologize to them for a thing. Um, and so you can find all that grunt work, um, pod, um, at, at Patreon. No, patreon.com dot slash gruntworkpod. Oh my yeah. god, I like just, the delirium. Is it was almost like a muscle memory. The delirium just kind of kicked in. Hey man, who needs drugs? <laughs> you can just pretend to be finishing your podcast. Um, if you want to help others find the show, consider leaving us a review or a rating on itunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts yep and uh you know i just breaking news yeah if they do that they get uh they get a little something
1: yeah yeah no well, what they get what they get if they do that is uh is some free therapy i guess because i need, normally normally i have a little advanced notice to think of a joke for this but in this case i did not uh, look look let's you know you know people just listen to a whole episode they have to get on and live we keep pushing healthy nights Pushing yeah. forward they don't Push they don 't notice look please get get something good please. they, they 're riding the thirty second skip button
0: you're right, please stop by and say hi to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram where you can find us uh, at Gruntwork pod. You can also find information on today 's show on our website, which is www.cardwithpodcast.com ooh that 90's uh, sweet flavor I love it uh, while you're like there surge. you can sign up for our weekly newsletter get notified whenever a new episode has been released and until whenever we hear you guys again that's not how podcasts
1: work But just what roll are you it,
0: listening to <laughs> <laughs> until we speak to you guys again
1: yeah that's the one I've been Truman Caps I've been Landon Solano
0: and uh, go check yourself in the therapy guys
1: <laughs> you know, I love that you are now doing more offensive Italian stereotype voices than I am. What have you turned me into? A big old slab of gabagool, or a slab of ghoul huh?